1: Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast.
0: So I woke up this morning and realized I had woken up. And so it starts out as a great day for me, folks. Every day I wake up, I thank God for the fact that I did. And here we are, rolling and revved, ready to go for yet another three-hour excursion into broadcast excellence Hosted by me, telephone number is 800-282-2882. And if you want to send an email, it's lrushbow at eibnet.us. I hadn't planned on starting with abortion as the primary subject matter today, but I've got to. Because there's something going on here, folks. And even the drive-by media is a little concerned over Judge Roberts. Justice Roberts. Chief Justice Roberts. Very, very, very concerned. Not quite sure what to make of what's happening here. And here's why. Justice Roberts has done it again. He joined the four lockstep Democrat justices whose job on the court is much different than the conservative. The the, the liberal judges just make sure they come down on the correct agenda side of every case to advance the leftist cause to advance liberalism, whatever. It doesn't matter how they get there. That is the objective. And they are always in lockstep. They never split away. Well, it's not... I mean, just last week there was a 7-2 ruling and some of the libs joined the conservatives. Those are very rare uh, cases that genuinely do not involve the uh, advancement of the leftist agenda. So once again... Justice Roberts, who, as you remember, was appointed by George W. Bush on the pretext that he was a conservative, he was one of these guys, he and Alito, these guys are going to lead the court into the future, and I've told you before, I've had a number of people say to me, Rush, you're you're, you're wrong to be worried about Kennedy, you're wrong to be, because the chief... Keep it sharp. The chief is the next Kennedy. The chief wants to be the next. Just, just be, focus your attention there. I've been told that by a number of people who turned out to be right about it. But this this case here is it's a flip flop. Justice Roberts has flip flopped. He joined the four lockstep Democrat justices to rule that laws requiring doctors who perform abortions have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals. It's a Louisiana law, and it said if you're going to do abortions, you better have a, a, a admitting privilege. If you're an abortionist doctor, you better have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital if something goes wrong. That law was shot down today because Roberts joined the left saying that it violates abortion rights, as spelled out in Roe versus Wade. But the problem is the Louisiana law that was struck down today is virtually identical to a law in Texas that the court uh, stood up for in 2016. Well, no, no, they, 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 I'm sorry. The, the court struck it down in 2016, but back then Roberts dissented in the Texas case and did not join the Democrat. Just same case, different state. And Justice flip-flops. Justice Roberts flip-flops. In Louisiana, he made it clear that uh, he couldn't he couldn't side with the conservatives in this case because it violates Roe versus Wade. But 2016, almost an identical law from the state of Texas. Roberts dissented, and so uh, everybody's wondering what's going on here. This is not a matter of law. There's the, the, the theory is something beyond the judgment of law or the adjudication of the case, and the case law specifically is going on here with Roberts because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any case any sense uh, intellectually. It doesn't make any case any sense judicially, and of course now. This end result leaves us with two different standards in Texas and Louisiana. If if you, uh, if you abort babies and you're not required to have doctors with admitting privileges in one state while other doctors are required to have admitting privileges then how in the world is the is the health of women being promoted here? Isn't that the point? The left puts abortion law that we must do everything we can to protect the health of women. Well, now in Louisiana, the health of women has been thrown out the window because if you go in to have an abortion, your doctor who is doing the abortion does not have to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. Meaning something goes wrong... In Louisiana, in your abortion, the the abortion doctor you choose doesn't have to be able to get you in the hospital to fix whatever's gone wrong. In Texas, it's the opposite. So, what does this mean, ladies and gentlemen? Well, there's all kinds of speculation going on out there. One of the questions being asked, not by me, by the way. And one of the questions being asked is, "What do the Democrats have on Roberts? What could they possibly be blackmailing him with?" You know, there's a there's, he adopted a child, and some people say not me. There's some people say something fishy about it. And before you go berserk out there, before you get mad at my speculating that Roberts could be blackmailed, you need to remember Nancy Pelosi and the entire media the entire democrat party she said again yesterday putin has something on trump and is blackmailing him and that's over this uh, controversy over whether trump knew or didn't know that there were bounties uh, from the taliban on american soldiers trump saying he didn't know about it wasn't in the presidential daily brief and when he says he didn't know anything about it pelosi's oh my god i can't believe that what did they got on him what are they putin's got to be blackmailing him it was worse than that Putin was running Trump. Trump was a traitor. Trump was a Russian agent all during the three to four years, the ongoing coup, remember? So don't get mad at me for suggesting that there's some blackmail possible here because it's free and clear. But Democrats want to allege it, want to accuse it, fine and dandy. Somebody turns around and says, this doesn't make sense. Somebody's got something on Roberts. They immediately shoot it down and say, impermissible. I don't think it's that myself. I think something else is going on, and I'm not sure what it is. It can be one of two things. I'm of the opinion that Roberts hates Trump on the basis that Roberts is your classic establishment figure. Classic inside-the-beltway elitist. And by in terms of elitist, I don't mean, in Roberts' case, arrogant, because I don't know him. But I mean, he's in the club, and he's one of the high-ranking members of the club. He is the elite of the elite. He has sought that position. He has achieved it. And this is how he maintains it. He's a never-Trumper. And he does what he can as a never-Trumper on the bench. The other side of the theory, however, is fascinating. Here's audio soundbite number one. This is Jeffrey Toobin at CNN today. And they're not, they're, they're, see, and then they got mixed emotions about this ruling. Toobin says something going on with Justice Roberts.
4: Something is going on with John Roberts. Louisiana passes a law that's almost identical to the Texas law. And here, Robert switch places because he says, stare decisis, the rule of precedent, requires that we honor the decision of a couple of years ago, even though I disagreed with it at the time. What that suggests is that Roe versus Wade may need one more justice Uh from President Trump Uh in order to win, because Uh if John Roberts feels this precedent needs to be honored, Uh Roe v. Wade is an even more well-established precedent. Uh
0: So you see, they're worried that this ruling from Roberts is going to revive and enhance the Trump campaign on the basis we now know Roberts cannot be dependent. He is not one of the conservative justices. And to be silly, to count on him as such as the supreme court takes cases meaning trump needs one more meaning there are going to be some retirements on the left side because of age alone and so that tubin is very very worried here that this is going to revive trump's campaign it's going to revive trump's base it's going to awaken some people who maybe are getting worn out with all the trump drama i don't know what percentage of trump's base that that would uh, apply to but They're clearly worried. They're not celebrating this ruling as you would expect them to, folks. They normally be celebrating this, oh, my God, Roe versus Wade, more solid than ever before. They're worried because, remember, there's something more important right now than even Roe versus Wade. And you may not agree with me, but that something more important is getting rid of D.J. Trump. That right now is more important than abortion, because they think they got abortion in the bag. They know that it's going to take a number of cases before the Supreme Court to l- literally and actually overturn Roe versus Wade. It's not going to happen in one case. But if this ruling—now, are they thinking that Roberts is a closet Trump supporter— And decided this case for the libs purposely to irritate the Trump base because Roberts is a smart guy. He may be the smartest guy uh, outside of Obama in the Washington establishment. And therefore, he may know what's necessary to revive the Trump base to the extent that it needs to be or to fire them up even more. And they're worried about that. Here, move down to soundbite number three. This is CNN today. And here they're they're making the
1: point that this decision
0: puts the Supreme Court back on the
1: ballot. And they are worried about it. I am sure that someone is already writing a Trump campaign ad on this, right, saying vote for me. I'll bring you another justice.
5: That was really a rallying cry for conservatives to get behind someone like Trump, who, of course, was unorthodox and controversial in more ways than we can list. And so I think that in many ways it could put the Supreme Court back on the ballot because clearly two uh, justices is not enough for President Trump based on some of these decisions. Now, let me add to this,
0: because... The reason why, ladies and gentlemen, this is, to me, of immense curiosity and importance. If you go back to the Trump rally in Tulsa, one of the telepromptered points that he made, which means that you know, the campaign made sure certain messages, certain uh, message points, if you will, were stated and emphasized by the president— that's the purpose of the prompter during a campaign year at a Trump rally. Make sure you get these points made. If you've got four central messages you're trying to get out there, three, whatever it is. And one of them was that the Supreme Court is going to have an opening and how great Trump's nominees have been to date and we need even more of them. And then Trump was talking about how by the end of his term this year, there will have been 300 judges confirmed, and we need even more. And you remember what the reaction to that was? There were people, learned academics, learned uh, think tank uh, pundits, who wrote that Trump was really botching. Oh my God, this isn't 2016, they said. You can't run on replacing Scalia again. You can't do, You you can't. You got to get with it. 2016 Playbook is not going to fly here. This business of the Supreme Court and the important nominees is not on people's minds right now. What's on their minds is saving their country from the mob. Well now guess what? With this ruling today and the la- and, and ruling last week where Roberts again undermined Trump, the left is very, very worried. They're not celebrating. And it makes it look like Trump knew exactly what he was doing at his rally, talking about the importance of the Supreme Court still. And the next nominee, and perhaps the next nominee after that. And I remember myself, I was I was when when I watched the Tulsa rally, I myself said, Come on, you gotta. You got to move it forward. You can't. You can't replay the twenty sixteen playbook. And and by the way, don't misunderstand. The whole rally was not that. There was a lot of forward thinking and and uh, and, and future looking. But this, to me, is fascinating because I, you know, I was expecting the left to be celebrating today, and I was expecting them to be celebrating Roberts today. And to talk about, oh right, this cements, Rovers, oh boy, we we are in there, and Rovers' weight is more secure than ever before. And I expected them to be lavishing praise on Roberts, and it isn't happening. And Roberts did flip-flop. He came down on both sides of essentially the same law. And in this case, it was to go against Trump. In 2016, that was a campaign year. Trump was not yet president, so Roberts was freer to actually vote without the ingredient of never-Trump status as a factor. Because I, I don't think there's any question he's a never-Trumper. Now, a lot of you may disagree. You may think that he's a stealth Trump supporter. Knows what he's doing here. Won't be long before we find out, but uh, bottom line is that this is a surprising aftermath to this ruling, just looking at the drive by Democrat media. Okay, let me take a break. Uh, We'll come back and continue. Lots of stuff on the plate today, as there always is. Don't go away. Hi, welcome back, Rush Limbaugh. Off and running on a brand new broadcast week. Excellence in broadcasting. Going to be missing a couple of days at least here tomorrow and Wednesday. Shooting for returning Thursday and Friday's uh, up for grabs. It depends, as you well know. Now, this this Taliban story, folks. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I really think this so-called news about Russia offering to pay the Taliban. You know, this bounty story out there that Trump says he didn't know anything about. I really think that there's nothing in the news media that's true anymore. You have to constantly remember this. There's nothing that's true. You cannot rely on the first take of anything you see. Washington Post, New York Times, the CNN. And so I don't. And my suspicion is aroused at every one of these stories that has supposedly bombshell end-of-the-road news for Trump. And so this, this news about Russia offering to pay the Taliban, a bounty, I think it's a leak. I think it comes from Democrat political operatives to hurt Trump. In fact, I wouldn't suspect, the, it, it, what's this news doing out here now? None of this none of these figures are in the news. I think this I think this news goes way way back to March. They didn't want this news to be buried by the coronavirus news when it was new and the shutdown was new and the lockdown was new. Cuz this doesn't make any sense at all. And now Pelosi is right back at it. If if there is any doubt now, Pelosi is using this fake story to revive the Russia conspiracy story again. The theories that the Trump campaign meddled in the election, that Trump is an agent of Putin. She's using this. See, Trump didn't know anything about it. Said he didn't know anything about it. So if Putin wants to pay a bounty for killing American soldiers and Trump looks the other way, this fits right in with the fact that they will not give up on this meddling and conspiracy story. She was on This Week yesterday. ABC said she didn't believe Trump's denial, that he was briefed on the plot. Instead, he wasn't briefed. She she said she believes that Russia is blackmailing Trump. This is as bad as it gets. And yet the president will not confront the Russians uh, on this score. Denies being briefed. She added, with him, all roads lead to Putin. They won't give this up. This whole thing, this whole bounty story that he says he knew nothing about, I'm sure it's a leak from Democrat operatives willing participation in the drive-by media to carry forth this coup attempt. No, 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 folks, it's fake news. This, this entire Taliban bounty paying, Trump ignoring it, not knowing about it. He's a traitor. He's being black. It's fake news. It's all made up. It's got everything the Democrats need to continue their coup. It's got the Taliban. It's got Russia. It's it's got uh, it's got the UK involved, which is heavily involved in the in the effort to get rid of Trump. Their intelligence communities were. It's got the New York Times involved. It's got CNN involved. Those are the two places the primary leaks in the story, the Russian meddling story, went. The U.K. also deeply involved in the Russian hoax to get rid of Trump. And here's the the story from CNN, in case you somehow have missed this. Russian intelligence officers offered cash rewards to Taliban fighters to kill American and U.K. troops in Afghanistan. Now, keep in mind something. Only two Americans have been killed in Afghanistan this entire year. Only two. We don't have a massive... uh, swath of murder out there taking place of American troops. too. This is, this is anonymous source allegations, just like all of the other lie stories with Russia meddling in the New York Times for nearly four years. It probably is a fake intelligence report, just like The golden shower story. All these prostitutes that Trump hired to urinate on a bed because Obama and Michelle Maibel Obama had slept on it in Moscow? Now, unlike the Obama regime, the adults in the Trump administration don't brief the president on unverified intelligence. But Comey and Brennan and Clapper went into the Oval Office, or went into Trump Tower on January 6th, and told Trump a bunch of BS. They told him about the golden shower story, as though it were verified. The Trump intelligence team does not waste his time with unverified stuff. There is no question in my mind that this whole thing is a continuation of the Russian meddling hoax, and I'll tell you why. That hoax, that ongoing coup... The impeachment Ukraine, that brought in a ton of campaign donations, folks. Over the past few years, that brought in money like the Democrats haven't seen before. And Pelosi wants to keep that alive for that reason, to make donors feel they haven't been duped by a phony story, to make donors feel they haven't been duped by the entire story. Stop and think. You're a Democrat donor or you're a Democrat consumer of news, And for four years, let's just say three for the hell of it, for three years, every news source you trust and every elected Democrat you trust and have given money to or have purchased an online news subscription to, like the Post of the New York Times or CNN, has lied to you through their teeth. They've told you Trump was a goner. They've told you Trump was history. They told you Trump was cheating. They told you Trump cheated, stole the election, worked with Putin. He's a Russian agent. Putin's running him. Trump stole it. It should have been Hillary. And for three years, you were told this. As a as a Democrat donor, as a Democrat voter, as a Democrat consumer of fake news, you bought it. You bought everything they said about it. And then here comes the evidence, which is there isn't any evidence, and there wasn't any collusion, and there wasn't any this, and there wasn't any that. You can't let it go. You can't apologize for getting it wrong. No, you can't let it go. you got to continue it. So we have a fake impeachment with Ukraine. We have fake Avenatti, fake Stormy Daniels, fake Michael Cohen, all premised on the fact that somebody's got the news, the evidence that Trump cheated, stole the election, worked with Russia. Nobody has it because it didn't happen. Now, now we have news of the Taliban having a bounty, Russian intelligence officers offering cash rewards to the Taliban to kill U.S. troops, of which there have been two deaths all year. And now Pelosi is revived, running around talking about the Russian hoax. She's got, well, she can't let it die. She can't let all of these donors figure out that they wasted millions and millions, and millions of dollars. And I'll tell you something else. If plugs Biden is 12 points ahead in the polls, or 20 points ahead in the polls, or whatever number these fake polls have Biden ahead by, why are they going back to this? Why are they going back to Trump-Russia? Why are they going back? To the coup? Why are they going back to the hoax? Why are they going back to the fact that Trump stole the election, worked with Putin, is a traitor, and is a Russian aide? Why are they going back to that? If Biden's really ahead by all that much, I don't believe any of this. I don't believe a word that I see about how much trouble Trump is in, about his internal polling being bad. Stories are now that it's so bad Trump is threatening to quit, that he's so depressed he's walking around the White House thinking of resigning because he's got no chance of winning. It's just... It's absurd, folks. Now let me give you another example of totally fake, lying news. I hold here in my formerly nicotine-stained fingers the media column by the latest... Media columnist at the Washington Post. Her name is Margaret Sullivan, I believe. (sighs) Margaret Sullivan. Try this headline. I realize not many of you may have seen this because you don't read, on my advice, the Washington Post. The data is in. Fox News may have kept millions from taking the coronavirus threat seriously. This story is all about how... Conservative media is responsible for coronavirus case increases and deaths because conservative media has told its audience that there's nothing to see here, that the coronavirus is not serious, that it's this massive conspiracy, it's vastly overblown, you don't need to worry about it. This is in the Washington Post. This is one of the most egregious examples of fake news that you'll find. It's another one of these Trump era realities best described as unsurprising but nevertheless shocking. Three serious research efforts, three serious research efforts have put numerical weight, that's right, data-driven evidence behind what many have suspected all along. Americans who relied on Fox News or similar right-wing sources were duped as the coronavirus began its deadly spread. The studies paint a picture of a media ecosystem that amplifies misinformation, entertains conspiracy theories, and discourages audience, or audiences from taking concrete steps to protect themselves. Now, this... Again, is classic. If there's anybody literally guilty of amplifying misinformation, it is the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN. They have lied. They have amplified lies. They have made things up about the 2016 election for four years and counting. They won Pulitzer Prizes on the basis of lies. I mean, there wasn't one thing they wrote. Folks, do you realize this? In three years or four, there isn't one thing they wrote that was true about the 2016 election being meddled with, stolen by Trump, Trump working with China, Trump working with Russia, Trump stealing it from Hillary, Not a word of any of that has been true. It is all fake news or lies or misinformation. And you talk about a conspiracy theory. What better conspiracy theory could you adopt than Donald Trump secretly working with Vladimir Putin to outsmart the smartest and brightest and bestest Democrats the country has to offer? Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, John Brennan, James Clapper, James Comey, Nancy Pelosi. This rube Trump outsmarted all of them. He successfully stole an election that literally could not be stolen, and he did it as a Russian agent. And these people have the audacity right now, WRIT, to report now that Fox News, and they mentioned my name here in a minute, as being responsible for you not taking coronavirus seriously. Those who relied on mainstream sources, uh, the network evening newscasts or national newspapers, uh, they got an accurate assessment of the pandemic's risks. Those were the news consumers who were more likely to respond accordingly, protecting themselves and others against a disease that has now killed more than 123,000. Those who relied on Fox or say Radio personality Rush Limbaugh came to believe that vitamin C was a possible remedy. Now, folks, I have never mentioned vitamin C as a remedy to any damn thing in American health ever on this program because I don't believe it. I don't believe you can swallow vitamin C until you can't swallow anymore. And it's not going to keep you from getting a cold. That's what I think. I never talk about it. I have yet to mention vitamin C as it relates to anything with the coronavirus. I have never downplayed the seriousness of it. I have never downplayed the severity of it. Quite the opposite. I have lamented that I didn't think a shutdown, nationwide shutdown or lockdown was necessary because the way it was being done, there was no way it was going to stop the spread of the virus anyway. All it was going to do was delay it. But if, if, if they're willing to publish such a blatant lie, and by the way, with Nexus and Lexus or Google, they could have easily researched this. Margaret Sullivan, her fact checkers, could have found out I have never mention vitamin C in relation to coronavirus or anything else. I don't take vitamins. Well, I take that back. I'm being forced to take them now. But in my whole life, I believe that I get all the vitamins I need by living. And even now, I'll make sure I'm outside 20 minutes a day just to get some vitamin D. But I have to lather up out there to do that. Very susceptible to the sun, but I make sure I get 20 minutes of vitamin D because you can't go get a pill for it. And in case you didn't know, during the the Spanish flu, 1917, 18, uh, that's what people would buy. Go outside, get some fresh air, get in the sun. It's the best thing you can do. There weren't any therapies for the Spanish flu back then. People just lived through it. You know, we didn't even shut the country down. Woodrow Wilson never even made a single statement about the Spanish flu. Because it was World War I time that was his focus. At any rate, if they are willing to construct a lie as blatant as this, then as far as I'm concerned, everything else in this story is. You have here the entire, you CNN to the story on this, now you have the Washington Post, the entire drive-by media doing long-form stories on how Fox News and conservative media are the reason the virus is spreading because our audiences are a bunch of mind-numbed robot idiots who don't know what to do unless we tell them. Arthur West of the Washington League for Increased Transparency in Ethics said... Uh that's the real evil of this type of uh, conservative programming. Um, yeah, yeah, we, believe, we believe that it'll be delayed and interfered with a prompt and adequate response. Uh, I think the Fox News and the conservative media, I don't think they care, and I think that they are wrong. As it goes on to talk about how the... Devotees of right wing news decided they didn't need to stay home. They didn't need to wear masks. They didn't need to take precautions. I'm telling you, don't believe a thing these damnable people say or write, folks. We'll be back. Hang on. Greetings and welcome back. Great to have you, Rush Limbaugh, and a uh, brand new week of Broadcast Excellence Grant. Let's see. Uh, you know, there's a, a point that I have been making, and we've got some evidence just to show you, and some people have been irritated at this. I've talked about the number of conservative friends I've lost when their daughters primarily became old enough to go away to college, did so, and came back, and I don't recognize their dads anymore, their friends. Now I've got a I've got a story here in the in the stack of stuff that incidentally just came up, it's up next, and it's about how the fact that we lost the education system is why we are where we are. If you want to try to find one thing, and there's more than one thing, obviously, but if you wanted to find, say, the, uh, the central point about and from which everything else explodes, it is the fact that we lost public education to the left, to leftist activists disguised as teachers. And I have no doubt about this, and it's two generations worth now. And one of the things that's different, as I say, is, is that when my brother went away to school, there was no way, even if he'd been indoctrinated as a liver, there's no way he was going to conv- convince my dad of it when he came home from school to talk. But it's, it, that, that's happening, and particularly where the students or daughters grabbed soundbite number four. This is Robert Regan, this Fox & Friends Sunday. Jedediah Baila talking to this guy Robert Riggins, a Republican Michigan State House candidate. He said, "Your daughter tweeted out opposition to you running for the Michigan State House." Well, your house must be really interesting at holiday time. These holiday dinners, political discussion starts. So, this guy's daughter is campaigning against him, and here is his reaction. I was to that. deeply
6: hurt. That stung when I first saw that. I was like, "Oh my goodness, are you serious?" I think it has to do with the indoctrination from the liberal and leftist socialist Marxist universities. You have to understand what these college campuses are like today. And these young women and young men, they want to fit into the group. So the whole idea that this is a a bastion of free speech and ideas, that just doesn't fly anymore.
0: Here's the next one very quickly. I really
6: do applaud her. She's one special young lady. And I'm sure none of us expected this to go as viral as it has. And especially as a father and a family you don't want this stuff going out in public. You know, families are supposed to be safe spaces and you have these discussions huh. quietly and I think it just kinda of caught all of us off guard. But yeah, she's one special special young lady and uh I'm just really happy for her. All right, stop know? it. So, so, so
0: the point is now, she goes away to school, gets indoctrinated, realizes has been taught her husband her, her father is a is a is a scourge and she starts actively campaigning against him. And what does he do? And I'm, I'm trying to get the guy in trouble, believe me, but he talks about how proud he is. Special young lady. Really happy for her. I Don't doubt me that this this stuff is happening out there, folks. It's not, not. By the way, the Michigan state Republican candidate, Robert reagan he's the guy saying that he is more conservative than I am. He's the writer, Rush Limbaugh. I'm, I'm really not selecting him to be critical of him. It's just that his story fits in a... Uh, an agenda. It fits a series of events that's happening all over the country out there. All right, we are back, and lest anybody think that I don't know what's going on here, I'm going to explain fully that I do know exactly what's going on here. And even though I know exactly what's going on, and even though I understand it, there's a part of it that worries me because it's... it's, We've lost our country to multiculturalism, and that has happened in the schools. And we've lost our country to multiculturalism in the process. I mean, multiculturalism exists for one reason, and that's to destroy the dominant American culture, of which there is one, and of which there has been since our founding. And it is among the greatest cultures in the history of the world, as evidenced by... American standard of living, Americans' morality. I mean, it just, just, but even if it's, even if it's no better than anybody else's, it's still ours. It's a distinct American culture that a vast majority of the world wants to be part of. Early immigrants came to this country to become Americans. They didn't come here to establish their own cultures on American soil like is happening now. So I – look, not to beat a dead horse, but I, I, I know what goes on in the homes of these families where young college co-eds primarily – I don't think this is happening too much with the sons. But with daughters, I think this is going to town. The daughters go away to school. They come home to conservative families, and they've been radicalized. And it's usually around the issue of race. <clears throat> The multicultural curricula has done its job of of enforcing guilt on particularly affluent white female college students. They've made them feel guilty as hell, and they've done it by evoking sympathy. I'll explain this in a minute in greater detail. So the young co-ed comes home, and I've, look, I know a bunch of fathers, friends of mine, Rock-ribbed conservatives who've given it up rather than lose their daughters. It's that simple. Now, in some cases, these guys are themselves being converted. But more than that, it is they don't want to lose their daughters. And their daughters come home and tell them, Dad... You and mom screwed up the planet. You screwed up the country. You're racist, systemic racist, but you don't even understand it. But I'm going to tell you how. And you are ruining America. You've ru- and I just tried to give you the best life I could. What are you talking about? At the end of it, doesn't want to lose his daughter. He says, okay. Maybe you got a point. So that brings us back to Robert Reagan in Michigan. This is the state Republican official who's described himself as to the right of me. And as if to prove what what, what I've been saying about how young white women have been indoctrinated at college. They come home and explain to their parents how their parents have been wrong all their lives. Their parents are part of the problem, systemic racism in America. And Mr. Regan is... I don't know if he's blaming, but he certainly is calling attention to college for his daughter coming out publicly against him, which is what she's done. She's come out against her own father in his re-election bid because he is part of the systemic racist problem in America. Now, stop and think of that for a second. I know it's not unique, and I know that kids have been turned against their parents since time immemorial but for a bunch of left-wing jerk, multiculturalist college professors to do this. And they don't just turn these kids against their parents. They do it with hatred. They get these kids, these young women, hating either their parents or other aspects of American culture. But he says he's proud of his daughter. He blames college for her anti-endorsement of him he said when they go off to college quite frankly they get involved with these marxist socialist universities start getting indoctrinated with things that are completely polar opposite from how you raised them his daughter's name is stephanie she sent out a tweet last tuesday that read if you're in michigan and 18 or older please for the love of god do not vote for my dad state representative, tell everyone. The tweet went viral with more than 177,000 likes by Thursday night, two days later. candidate said, Mr. Reagan said he was hurt by the tweet, but he was proud of his daughter. I'm the father. I'm human. You feel things like that. One of the things I did with my kids, all four of them, I always said, focus on the truth. I'm really excited that they thought they had a solid enough relationship with me where they could diss me on social media and know that I'm not going to disown them. So that—I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Regan. I can't imagine the—well, I, I, I can not imagine the circumstance you're in. And I—he's uh, proud— that they have a solid enough relationship with him that they can totally disrespect him on social media and know that he's not going to disown them. Yeah, my dad won't do anything. My dad won't do anything to me. My dad, he, he knows the truth. He knows that there was systemic racism in America, and he's responsible for it. He's not going to do anything. And here it is. Regan told the Hill.com he and his daughter mainly disagree about the issue of systemic racism. She's a big believer in that, he said. He said the only place where I really see systemic racism would be the abortion clinic. They seem to target the African-American community. He said that Trump's done more for the black community than any president we've had in the last 20 years. Absolutely true. But he doesn't dare argue with his daughter about it. And this is the thing that I've noticed. These dads that I've seen that don't dare argue. Don't dare try to reclaim them. Don't dare try to tell them, hey, maybe you, professor, doesn't have your best. Maybe they don't even try. Because I'll tell you, I know what's going on. I know exactly without having been there. I can tell you what's going on in the Regan household, probably. Mr. Regan's wife... Or what it is his other kids is saying to him, look, we don't want to lose her. She's our daughter. She's a sister. It's not worth pushing her out of our lives. And that's going to happen if you're not careful the way you handle this, Robert. We can't push her out of our lives. Just suck it up. Just suck it up, Robert, and don't say anything. Don't engage her in any discussions. She'll leave us if you do, Robert. We'll lose her. And politics is not the reason to lose our daughter. Doesn't matter what she says. It doesn't matter how wrong she is. We just have to shut up or we'll lose her. And that is how it happens. It's no different than a a parent not wanting to confront an SOB teacher for totally destroying their students' educational life for fear of the bad grade that would be forthcoming. You just you swallow it and go away and hope that you can save your own kid some other way. But you don't dare go to the school and raise hell because of what might happen to your kid. Same thing here. And this, folks, is how it happens. This is why I say, that teachers in public school who have control over the multicultural curriculum, they are the biggest secret enemy or weapon that we face because they've got automatic mind control over your kids, and they have the ability, and it is happening now. It's not just poor Mr. Regan. Just not my friends. It's happening all. They are turning affluent white college students against their parents and against everything they have been raised to be. And not only that, in addition to turning them against it, they are being poisoned about the way they have been raised as promoting systemic racism, bias, homophobia anti-LGBTQ attitudes and all the other stuff that gets tossed into this perverse left-wing melting pot. Try this. Teachers in uh, Northern Virginia are demanding hazard pay. Read a headline. Teachers in Northern Virginia demanding hazard pay for the coming school year. Teachers who've been doing what since March? Nothing. They're not demanding special pay. And it's because of the virus. But see, the people who've been stocking shelves in your grocery stores and trucking supplies and loading those trucks all over the country, they haven't made these kinds of demands. Hazard pay, special pay. I I think... And it's not all teachers either, by the way. You can never – they're not all monolithic and you can't indoctrinate or uh, uh, incriminate an entire group. But I'm telling you, the multicultural curriculum crowd, this is where the root – Of all of this, Black Lives Matter, the rioting, the looting, it's all rooted in hating America. It's all rooted in false beliefs about the founding of America. It's all rooted in converting white majority affluent college educated kids that their parents and they by extension are to blame for the horrendous circumstances that everybody who's not white faces in this country. And they've done a bang-up job, but they've had had two generations now to do this. And I remember when the multicultural curriculum was first formed. I was hosting this program. It's, it's, It's about 30 years ago when I first... And I warned everybody what this was about. That multiculturalism back then was actually being spearheaded by a bunch of people who simply couldn't find their way into the mainstream of American culture. For whatever reasons, they were outcasts or thought they were. For whatever reasons, they were oddballs and weirdos or thought they were or made to feel that way. So it, it became time to get revenge. And they have done it. Academia has been particularly victorious, but folks, you know there's an opening now. The virus has shut down schools. There's an opportunity. Homeschooling is on the march. Homeschooling is on the increase. You know what else is being? Le- People are learning just what a ripoff university educations are that you don't need to pay 200 bucks for a textbook that is available almost El Fribo online. You don't need to pay $20,000 a semester for room and board. You don't need to pay this for tuition or that. The colleges and universities had to find a way to stay up and running. And so they did it like every other uh, business is, virtual, online, and guess what? People are learning. You don't have to spend whatever it is, is, thirty to 50000 a year, educating your kid, all for the purposes of having their minds poisoned by a bunch of left-wing multiculturalists. So there's an opening here. There's an opening to reach in and grab, re-grab, regain control over education in this country. It's not just universities either. They've got your kids once they get to high school uh, in, in various classes. Like, I can't tell you how many history classes have been hunted in exchange for current events of the news. And all that is, for however long that class lasts, is what an SOB Donald Trump is. That's history class in many public and private schools in America today. I remember hearing stories of the teachers of these so-called history classes giving students the answers to the tests about which they hadn't been taught anything. The tests were fake. They were given the answers so that they would pass these tests, so it would make it look like the teachers been teaching this stuff, but they hadn't taught anything of history. And the kids, of course, they liked it. It meant they didn't have to study. They didn't have to do anything. They were given the answers to the tests. It's not just one place. It's been happening all over the country. Everything for the advancement of the cause, you see. Brief break. I've got... A companion story here by Charles Love. What woke whites get wrong about blacks' priorities? This is a good story too. I gotta take a break though, and I gotta get started with you people on the phone, so that is coming up next. Okay, to uh, back to Oregon. We're gonna start in the in the Christmas Valley with Kenzie. Kenzie, great to have you with us at EIB Network. Hello.
3: Hi, Meghiddoes from Christmas Valley.
0: Thank you. Great to have you here.
3: I just wanted to say, first off, that it's an absolute honor to talk to you, and you, in my opinion, are one of the absolute best role models that a kid like me could ever ask for. It just well, the thank you.
0: Best. That, I really, really appreciate that. You're, uh, it says up here you're 15 years old. Yes, 15. So I didn't understand if you had if you had homeschooled somebody 15 years old, or you are a homeschool 15 year old. Well, that's great. I really appreciate your nice compliment. <laughs>
3: So um, anyway, my, my question was, is uh, what actions can average Americans, both older Americans and younger Americans, take to, to help our country during all this chaos? And also, what, what can we do to uh, combat the progressive liberal agenda before the November election?
0: You just have to stand up to it. I, 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 think, I think they've got everybody cowed into being afraid of them. Uh, and I don't. You know, I, I'm not trying to create. I'm not trying to put people in uh, in, in dangerous situations. But uh, you don't you don't have to you don't have to be afraid to tell these people what you think. And you don't have to be you don't have to think you have to run the other way from them. You can choose to disengage if you want to. Don't misunderstand. But uh, if if you think that there might be value in engaging them, then I don't think you should be afraid to. At, okay. th- th- that's called pushback, and at some point, it's going to happen. It just is just a question of uh, you know your individual pre- preference and choice whether you want to be uh, part of it or not. But right. I wouldn't I wouldn't you know, see the, I, the moral high ground of these people. They don't own the moral high ground. They're they're acting on a bunch of things that are not true. They have been lied to. They've been mal ill educated, and and they have uh, also been taught to use violence to. Uh, intimidate and manipulate people,
3: right? And you know, I live in Oregon, which is is a liberal state. But if you look at if you look at the individual counties, there is so many individual counties that vote Republican. Yep. But it's it's crazy because there are like there are like two counties in the whole state of Oregon that essentially control the whole state. Exactly. And, that's the
0: same. If you look at a map of the country, county by county, ninety. 90- percent of the country 90 percent is red
3: exactly and you look at the 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 few that that are uh, liberal that control the whole state you know that's where the most population is and that's where you know um it's our governor, our governor it is governor.
0: where the democrat party runs things is what you need to know it's not it's not so much that's just where the people that control the state happen to live it's where the democrat party runs things and they're a mess. They're falling apart. They're defunding police departments. They're not protecting their own people. They're letting their own people down. Their own police forces are committing murder against African-Americans. Democrat-run police departments. Democrat-run uh, cities and states. This is what everybody needs to know. These people have no moral high ground out there, Kenzie. Right, right.
3: And, you know, um, our state it's 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 dumb because you, you look at our state, our governor, we're in, I believe, stage two of reopening. And she says, we're not going to be able to reopen until we get a vaccine. And, and at this point, we, we don't know. I mean, we kind of well, know. Well, again, the truth general... about
0: that is they're not reopening to hurt Donald Trump. They're not reopening, Kenzie, to affect the election. They want the economy in Oregon to stay moribund. They want the economy, wherever they run other states, to be flatlined. They want Trump to be blamed for that. They want Trump to be blamed for the additional cases of COVID-19 so that he will lose the election. That is what it is about. Okay, going to stick with the phones here for a little while. But I got to go back to this story about what's happening with uh, young affluent white college students coming home, denouncing their parents. And their parents not wanting to lose their kids, going along with it all. Some of them legitimately getting their minds changed. Here is uh, Edward in Kernersville, North Carolina. Great to have you on the EIB Network. Hello.
4: Hi, Mega Ditto's Rush. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that you, sir, are my hero. I always take your advice. Uh, I deleted my Facebook, by the way, and I feel phenomenal.
0: Well, thank you. Um, I, I appreciate that.
4: Yes, sir. Uh, my question is, how would these white liberals know how it is growing up in the urban community? Uh, I'm a 28-year-old Puerto Rican, and I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, all my life. Uh, there was a point in my life that I was scared to go outside um, in fear of getting uh, mugs, beat up. Uh, but uh, these white liberals never... I mean, they, they have a complete different picture of how it really is.
0: Well, you know, it's a good question. How, how do these, um, these white women, college students, how do they know anything about what it's actually like in African-American neighborhoods? They believe it. Remember, this doesn't happen in one class. It doesn't happen in a week. This happens over the course of a semester, and then you add semesters to the first semester. It just keeps building on itself. And they have the luxury of time. I mean, go to school. They're going to be in middle school for a couple years, high school for three. Then they got you for four years in college. And they can double down and combine you know, history and then whatever newfangled curriculum courses there are. And they just... They, they wear people down over time, but they, they know how to psychologically tap into the guilt centers. Let me – you just happened to provide me a great transition here to the piece de resistance on this whole subject matter today. Uh, Charles Love is the author of this piece. He's an assistant executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence. And this piece was uh, adapted from a publication called City Journal. A headline, the piece, What Woke Whites Get Wrong About African-American Priorities. And let me share with you some fascinating pull quotes here, because they'll answer your question out there, Edward. This month's protest started out as a black movement against police brutality. But not anymore. They have a totally different look now. In many cases, it is whites who've taken over the protests. And that didn't take long. Six out of seven of the... Pew Research, remember had it last week, six out of seven of the protesters, Black Lives Matter protests, are white. And the majority of them are white college educated women, suburban college-educated women. And they apologize for their white privilege. You ask, how do they know anything about African Americans' standard of living? They're told that their existence, that their economic standard of living is because of white privilege. It's because. They have denied African-Americans. The country has denied African-Americans. they saying economic opportunity. They've literally stolen from whatever they can lie about, they do. They apologize for white privilege. Celebrities, athletes, corporate America followed suit. Portland's police chief resigned, asking to be replaced by a black man. The CEO of Chick-fil-A urged whites to shine the shoes of black people to show a sense of shame. But why now? Why now? Mr. Love asks. Well, to find out, I had to hear what whites were saying. So I listened to the protesters. I talked with my white friends. I read articles in social media posts. What I found was that white people were overwhelmingly depicting black people as desperate as defeated, as incompetent, as impossible, with no way to pull themselves out of their misery. Now, folks, I have to tell you that this is exactly the way the civil rights liberals all the way back to the 50s and 60s saw African Americans and continue to see them to this day. Talked with white friends. I read what they were saying. I found white people overwhelmingly depict black people as desperate and defeated and incompetent. A white friend said to me when I objected to this, I understand your point, but don't you think blacks are being oppressed? Don't you think blacks are being oppressed? And that's when I realized that white wokeness is the new factor in our national life now you know this because i've already explained it to you but this guy just figured it out which is great don't misunderstand white wokeness particularly among affluent female white college students white wokeness is the new factor it has been embedded into the consciousness of whites That blacks are monolithic. They're all the same. That they all face impossible barriers to improvement. From standardized tests stacked against them. To the black men being arrested on the nightly news. A growing number of whites believe that black life is unrelentingly grim. Now, my friends, this is precisely the view of baby-boomer white liberals. You know what it's rooted in? It is rooted in the same, it's rooted in what I call the soft bigotry of low expectations. And every white liberal is guilty of this. They look at African-Americans and they see people have no chance. For whatever reason, they see people that just can't do it the way they can. So they feel sorry for them. And then they turn that sympathy to blame on white conservatives, some group that's had nothing to do with any of this. But they can't blame themselves because they're woke. These baby boomer white liberals, many of them in the media, they can't be to blame because they get it. They are sensitive. But they believe that African-Americans don't have a prayer. They believe African Americans can't do things on their own. They have this—they have this guilt over what they believe slavery caused, and the, how long slavery has as lived. It's it's still alive in their view, and so all of this is really rooted in the sympathy that accompanies the belief that these people are incapable of helping themselves, that they're incompetent. And by the way, liberals look at everybody this way. Liberals, that this is what they've constructed in order to make themselves feel needed and in order to make themselves feel worthy of power. They damn well believe, Mr. Love is exactly right, He swerved into the truth here. Whites... Yet college are being taught to believe that blacks are helpless. And they're helpless because they're perpetual, constant victims. They're victims of an unfair, systemic, racist America. They don't have a prayer. They can't possibly advance. And yet you point out many, whole bunch, there's an active African-American middle class, and you point out, you name them, and boy, do they hate you. Because those people are not independently six. Those are Uncle Toms. Those are sellouts, and those are traitors who were never down for the struggle. You can't point to—Shelby Steele, one of the great points that Shelby Steele makes. Shelby Steele started out as a Malcolm X supporter, and he is frustrated beyond his ability to express it. Why in the world— are the role models that african american kids are told to look up to are people that go to jail people have all you got to be careful saying this stuff let me do it another why why aren't people like clarence thomas held up as examples to follow as heroes And the answer is because they weren't down for the struggle because they didn't use affirmative action because they're nothing but a bunch of step and fetch it blacks who do nothing but cultivate a bunch of white friends and their white friends take care of their sellouts to the race. That's the thing that said that frustrates Shelby Steele out the wazoo. Even though Shelby Steele doesn't talk that way, he doesn't say things like out the wazoo, but I do. But I can't, folks, it is rooted in sympathy, it's rooted in the belief that African Americans can't do anything on their own, either because America is unfair or because the deck is so stacked against them. And so these African Americans need white liberals looking out for them, shielding them and protecting them. And it adds up to the soft bigotry of low expectations, meaning, I don't think you've got what it takes, pal. I'm sorry. I just don't think you can make it. What's What are the most insulting attitudes you can have to anybody, regardless of race? Mr. Love writes here that you know, most whites don't have many black friends to give them firsthand accounts of what their experiences are with racism. While most blacks do experience some discrimination or racial prejudice, it's rarely violent, and it doesn't hold them back in significant sense. In other words... It's a myth that yet everybody has been led to believe. And Edward, here's the real answer to your question for Mr. Love. The media give a distorted view of black life. We see this in the stories they choose to report and those they don't. In 2018, police shot and killed 54 unarmed men. 22 were black. The rest were white. Compared with the percentage of blacks in the U.S. population, that figure looks disproportionate. But black people commit a disproportionate amount of violent crime and thus tend to have more. You can't say that. See, can't point that out. Something else you can't talk about is black on black crime. No, 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 no. You can't. Don't ever go there. They will come for you. But the bottom line here, Mr. Love says, most blacks do not live in poverty. They don't have constant run-ins with the law, and they aren't, most of them, uneducated. It's important to look at racial disparities in context. Though blacks commit more violent crime than whites do in relative terms, in absolute terms, a percentage of people who commit any violent crime is tiny, The white violent crime rate is 0.12%. For blacks, it's 0.44%. By any standard, most people aren't violent criminals, regardless of their race. Anyway, people are being lied to over and over and over about all this, particularly in school. They're being inculcated, they're believing it. Then they come home, they start lecturing their parents. Some of their parents do not want to lose the kids, so they make it look like they agree with them. Others actually do change their minds on key issues. But I think the vast majority of it is parents not wanting to lose their kids. Look, told you a couple of weeks ago, I know a new grandmother disagrees a thousand percent. With how her grandbabies are being raised, but I can't say a word for fear she'll be shut out of their lives. That's how it works. Anyhow, I got to take a break. We'll do that. We'll be back. We'll continue right after this. Do not go away. Okay, back to the phones we go. This is uh, Mac in Athens, Georgia. Welcome. Great to have you, sir. How are you doing?
6: I am doing excellent today. Excellent today. So, so glad I was able to get through. I, I, I've listened to you since you first came on the radio waves out of Atlanta.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's pretty early on in the process.
6: Yes, my parents raised me listening to the program,
0: so. Well, um, it's no wonder you, you like, haven't wavered. It's no wonder you haven't uh, we haven't <laughs> lost you because you were locked down early.
6: Uh, very very early, very early. So um, I'll get straight to my point, though. Um, so here we have. Two local representatives who pushed for defund the police, ACLU came in to try to back them, um, and they were in favor of taking social workers and replacing some officers with social workers, which has been a a common theme. Uh, However, I decided to look a little bit deeper into what they want to do with these social workers and started to discover that what they want these social workers to do, have the ability to do, is go into the homes, schools and churches of kids and find out who taught them to be racist. And as a family that homeschools our children and as Christians, you know, we begin to look at that and say, well, who's the most at risk for that? You know, whose homes and schools and churches are they going on to? Because they're not going into a government run school. You know, they know what's being taught there. So the next place would be either private schools or into the homes of homeschoolers to find out who's teaching them. Well, the idea, obviously, we know what comes next, is that then they'll seek to remove the child from a home they deem to be teaching racism.
0: You are. Let me tell you, if you're listening to this guy, if you're listening to Mac out there, come on, Rush, can't you find somebody that's not a conspiracy cook? He's not. What Mac realizes here that we're in the midst of a cultural revolution, a cultural revolution, as opposed to a political revolution. A cultural revolution is all about getting people's minds right by way of the use of force, by way of the use of intimidation and threat. See, he's right on the money here. They're getting rid of the cops, replacing them with social workers. That's supposed to make people think, well, the, uh, the uh, accused are going to be treated much more fairly now. The accused will probably be uh, much less threatened, and they'll be uh, much gentler uh, uh, dealt with in a gentle way. Vast improvement when the truth of the matter is it's an entree because you're exactly right. It's not enough just to accuse people of systemic racism. They're going to go in there and they're going to find the examples of it. Where did it come from? So that those examples like you can be held up as as evidence of shame. Look what you've done. Look at how you have turned your family into systemic racism. That's exactly what this move is about. It's a cultural revolution, and that's and they are counting on the fact that there isn't going to be any pushback because there hasn't been any pushback up till now. Wait till you hear this. San Francisco's failed experiment of homeless hotels is a cautionary tale. A cautionary tale. Wait till you hear this. Unbelievable. We'll be back. Right, and here we are, back at it, El Rushball, your guiding light, America's real anchorman, meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. So here's the latest on this stupid bounty thing. The White House says that Trump was not briefed on this, that the Russians offering a bounty to the Taliban for every American soldier killed. So the drive by there was a press briefing in the last hour that was held by the... Uh, Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany, in the drive-bys, were having an orgasm. They were going back and they were... Well, Trump said that he didn't need an intelligence briefing every day. Remember, Kaylee? Because he's so smart that Trump didn't need one. And because he didn't get the briefing, now he says he didn't know about this. So they're trying to bring this all back to Trump. That Trump, whatever happened, Trump is responsible for it, either because... He didn't know about it or because he wasn't told about it because he didn't want to deal with the briefing or because he doesn't care. Whatever they want to try to make stick is what they're trying to do here. And it is it is just this pile on of an American political figure is something I have not seen in my lifetime. And and I have believed on the course of these Three to four years that uh, a peak was hit a couple times, that there's, there's really nothing more these people can do. But they keep proving me wrong because they, they just keep coming up with the most outrageous. For example, here is a tweet from Charles Gasparino. Charles Gasparino, I don't know where he is. And he used to be at CNBC. New York uh, economics guy of some. I I know the name, and I know he's been with MSNBC and CNBC for a while. Still at CNBC, okay. But what was he before? Was he anything before? Did CNBC hire him away from, from. That's what I can't remember. It's no big deal whether that's true or not. But here's the deal. GOP operatives are the first time raising the possibility that Donald Trump could drop out of the race if his poll numbers don't rebound. And if it looks like he will take the Republican Senate with him, he might just drop out of the race and quit. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, for I th- th- That... Who does he think he is, Pope Benedict? We don't have presidents. They don't quit. Like this. Well, Russia's saying he wouldn't get out of the way for maybe another nominee that might have a better... Not at this stage. But he's not a quitter. Where does does this come from? says, over the weekend, I spoke to uh, a sample of major players... One described Trump's current psyche as fragile. Now Gasparino says I'm not convinced yet. He's got time. He's running against an opponent literally hiding in his basement. Plus, the public isn't focusing yet on just how left-wing Joe Biden has become. So much so he can bring himself to denounce. Can't bring himself to denounce rioting. Biden isn't anything. Biden doesn't know what he. Biden knows what they put in front of him to say. That is the damn truth about this. The idea that, that Joe Biden has some kind of invigorated, excited, enthusiastic base is one of the biggest lies in American politics. Biden doesn't have anything. The only thing Biden has going for him is that he's not Trump. And that because of that, they think he can count on at least 46 to 47 percent of the popular vote, Period. And anything other than that, somebody's going to have to work for and earn. Now that may be true. I mean, there are forty-six to forty-seven percent Democrats going to vote against Trump. No matter. And now you've seen the stories. You've seen the stories today. Bernie Sanders voters starting to come around to Biden. Why? What's Biden done to make Bernie Sanders voters come around? Joe Biden is is. I think I think it is. <clears throat> What's the word? What's the term? Elderly abuse. What is being done? To, I'm, I'm serious about this. What's being done to him? And I'm not trying to sound falsely uh, sympathetic or sensitive. I think it really is. And now they're talking about some people. Tammy Duckworth is the vice presidential nominee. I mean, well, anyway. Uh Mr. Gasparino continues, that said, the speculation indicates how tense Republican operatives are about Trump losing and the party losing the Senate and having their entire agenda abolished in a a leftist wave election. Somebody tell me, since this has been brought up here, the party losing this, can somebody tell me what the Republican Senate's objectives are? What, what What is the Republican Senate's agenda? Well, that's easy, Rush. I mean, that would be Trump's agenda. Yeah, well, you would think so, but I just, I don't see the Republican Party is the focal point, should be, of the opposition to the effort, the attempt to take over this country. And I, j- I don't. I don't hear much, and I don't see much opposition. You know, they can blame Trump and all, but what what is, what is the Senate doing to get itself reelected? What are individual senators doing? They can run around and complain and whine and moan about Trump, and clearly, Trump plays a role. Don't misunderstand, but what are these guys doing to draw favorable attention to themselves? It's not as though. They serve and do everything they do, and it's up to the president to get them reelected. A lot of these people, the same people, didn't think Trump had a chance in 2016. Victor Davis Hanson has a piece. i got to share this with you, at least some, some elements of it, some pull quotes. Because it's, uh, it dovetails with a point that I made on Friday. It is really, really, really well done here. The headline, and, and his piece appears, by the way, it ran yesterday at, uh, at American Greatness, the website American Greatness. And the headline, Trump will win if he responds to righteous voter rage. The subheadline is that the hour of reckoning is here. Either Trump will crush the lawlessness and win swing voters to his side, or he'll listen to the tremors and lose the country. So the essence of my point on Friday, repeated here by Mr. Hansen, is the hour of reckoning is here. Either Trump is going to crush the lawlessness, push back against it, be seen as not tolerant of it, and thus win swing voters to his side. You want to know how to do it? Swing vote, what is it, about 6%? The swing vote, 6% is what I see that it is. The swing vote, the independents, the great, these are generally said to be 20% of the electorate. You got 20% undecided, 40% Republican, 40% Democrat. So it's the undecided, the 20% everybody campaigns for, theoretically. Well, that number's down to 6% now. Trump's got to get most of it. Who are they? He's got to get the undecideds. He's got to get the swing voters. And the way Mr. Hansen thinks he's got to do it is to push back against this. But as I pointed out on Friday, he's got a real dilemma because the people that he would be pushing back for do not want the help. Democrat governors, blue state governors and and mayors in Washington, in Oregon, in Illinois, in New York, in Minnesota, they don't want the help. They want the unrest. They couldn't care less about the economic circumstances for the people who live in their states right now because if they could just hold on to November, if they can just keep their shutdowns due to the coronavirus, keep those shut down. New Jersey, too, keep them shut down all the way through October, November, then they can finally get Trump. They can finally get him out of there. Trump knows this. In addition to that, how many of these... Pentagon generals have come out and essentially said that Trump's not fit. Trump doesn't know what he's doing. Trump used me for that photo op at the church, and I resented, and I shouldn't have done it. So the people who would benefit from the pushback Trump needs to engage in to win the swing voters are people who don't want him anywhere near the state, blue state governors and mayors. And that puts us in uncharted waters when blue state officials do not mind all of this violence all around them when they don't care about it, or at least they've run the cost-benefit analysis and they've figured out that it serves their interests to keep this chaos and violence going through November, that that is preferable to a restoration of law and order. Trump must be seen as law and order. He has got to be seen as restoring it. But the places it's still happening are Democrat strongholds that do not want Trump to succeed. So what's he to do? You know, one one moment, middle-class white kids get in the face of police, black police, screaming obscenities. Taunting. Have you seen the video of this? It's the most... It's, it's the most childish, ungodly thing of these ponytailed, white, college-educated, college-age women just getting in the face of these black cops, and they look like they're baying as wolves. They're shouting, and they're calling them names, racist names, everything you can think of. They're shrieking like stuck pigs at them. Then the police began to march forward and push them back. And by the way, the police have had success. You know what works? You know what's working? Throwing firecrackers into the mob. Throwing firecrackers into the mob is like like spraying raid underneath your sink in the kitchen. The cockroaches just scatter. You ever done that? You ever sprayed raid under there and you've been depressed to see how many cockroaches you've got? They set off fireworks and these protesters just scatter like a bunch of roaches and vermin. As Mr. Hansen writes, just when you thought these anarchists were real revolutionaries who would retire to the Rockies and Sierras to continue their war in the corporate state, they seemed terrified of being arrested and charged with resume-staining, racketeering, or felonious assault. They proved to be bourgeois careerists. They're not Bolsheviks on the barricades. Hollywood central casting could not have dreamed up more audio, visually off-putting characters. The distance between them and the unjustified death of George Floyd is now a vast abyss. And what, what he's saying is that these are a bunch of phonies. They're a bunch of pretenders. They're out there making themselves feel relevant and good. They got nothing to do with George Floyd. They don't care about George Floyd. They don't even know who he was. They have no idea how he lived. They have nothing about him. The distance between them and the unjustified death of George Floyd's. Now, and, and Dinesh D'Souza is out today with a tweet, or maybe, I don't know if it's a tweet or if it's a Facebook post or whatever, but it's a picture of a bunch of these anarchists. And he makes the point. Here it is. What is this? It's a tweet. Uh, I'm sorry, tw- Twitter. He says, when I look at Antifa mugshots, I'm struck by how ugly these people are. I wondered, why are they so full of rage? And then it hit me, they're protesting their own ugliness. And then there's nine of them here. And they are pretty ugly. But, my friends, again, you know, I was the first to arrive at this observation. And I have – it's undeniable truth of life number 24. Feminism was established in part so as to allow unattractive women easy access to the mainstream of society. My point was that the early feminists were simply ticked off that their physical appearance, they thought, held them back. They weren't attractive in the mainstream sense. And therefore, they weren't oogled and ogled and all that. And they resented it. And that's what Dinesh is saying about these Antifa people. They're protesting their own ugliness. I don't know if it's true in the case of the Antifa people, but I believe it was with the early, early feminazis. But whatever it is, obvious these people feel What's the term? Distanced from the mainstream. Just like the multiculturalists who took over the curriculum in American schools. The main thing was they were ticked off. That in their own minds, they didn't fit in for whatever reason. Time to take it out on America. Time to take it out. Get revenge for whatever it was that made them outcasts. And Dinesh's theory on the Antifa mob is the same thing, essentially. Whatever it is, whatever's made them mad, they have been led to it. They've been indoctrinated to it, and they have—they've uh, all fallen for it. Uh, Mister Hansen uh, really believes. He says, "Are Americans?" Supposed to take seriously the corporate leftist media, where one moment the mindless anchors are reading the same scripted talking points about systematic NASCAR racism, the suffering of Bubba Wallace, and hyping a garage door pull rope as if they were discussing the Dred Scott case, for crying out loud. And in the next Jussie Smollett moment, after the narrative is discredited, they of course move on to a... A farce along the lines of what really did happen most surely could have happened and thus, in a sense, did happen. So each day, ill-defined groups of Americans silently drift into the the I-can't-take-the-insanity-anymore camp. The polls assure us that it's not so. The media praises the basement strategy of an addled Biden... The the op-ed writers gleefully preen that Trump is finished. Perhaps he could be if he stays portrayed as ineffectively dealing with the recession, the virus, and the violence. He's got to deal with these things. He's got to find a way to deal with it. Got to take a brief break. We're up against it on time. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. All right, back to the phones. This is uh, Michael Athens, Georgia. Great to have you with us. The EIB Network, sir. Hello.
6: Thanks, Rush. Uh, Mega prayers. Thank you I, very I much, you, sir. I know you talked about that they're waiting to go to November, but I feel like the other catch to this is I feel like they want to make the environment so dangerous that people don't want to get out to vote, that you can expect to see Black Panther members at voting polls threatening people and making the atmosphere just completely dangerous for people to go out and vote for Trump.
0: Well, you know, that's an interesting piece talking about these blue state governors who are uh, in favor of the violence continuing, in favor of the lockdowns, in favor of the economic slowdown continuing. Uh, Michael's theory here is that the additional or an additional or maybe the main reason they're doing it is to keep people out of work and, to, in addition to that, to suppress voters in November— now, is, are you thinking that they're desirous to make people afraid to go vote because of the potential violence like the Black Panthers in Philadelphia in 2016?
6: Yes, it'll be a combination of fear from the violence and fear from COVID.
0: Okay, so the fear is two-pronged. Fear of getting the virus and fear of being physically assaulted if they go to the polls. And that, there, could be, there could be elements of truth in both. There could be elements of uh, truth in, uh, in all three of these things. But here's, here's the thing I don't get about that, Michael. Of course I do. I'm, I'm being a smartass here. If Biden is ahead by 12 to 20 points, why wouldn't they want all these people showing up to vote? If the Democrats are so believing they're going to just swamp Trump. If Trump is polling so bad he's thinking of quitting If only 5% of the American people, this is polling, if only 5% of the American people think the country's headed in the right direction, then what do the Democrats have to fear? Why would they be afraid of people voting if they believe their polls that show Biden up by 12 to 20? In battleground states, I might add. Well, the obvious answer is they don't believe their bogus polls. And they don't believe that only 5% of the country think we're headed in the right direction to blame Trump for it, if your theory is right that they're trying to suppress the vote. If that's true, if there's any part of that that's true, it is abundantly clear that they don't think Trump can be beaten. Back in a second. You know, you carry your cell phone with you like you carry your wallet, like you carry your keys, and pretty, pretty soon... That cell phone is going to be your wallet, and it's going to be your car keys. I mean, very soon, if you use an iPhone, you're going to be able to unlock your car with your phone. You're going to be able to start your car with your phone, starting around September or October. So you're really, you're not carrying a phone around. You're carrying a computer around that has a phone app on it. And if it isn't properly protected... You're exposed to all kinds of cyber threats, and you don't even know it. Now, Norton is the company that provides you with the right kind of cyber protection. It's called Norton 360. It gives you a virtual private network that shields all the communication coming and going from your device. It literally makes your connection invisible on any network, including a a, a public Wi-Fi network. That's what the VPN does. It's only part of Norton 360. There's other stuff there. You download Norton 360 once, you activate it. It allows you to send and receive emails and make online purchases with total privacy. Just you and the intended receiver. They use bank-grade encryption to protect your communications, especially from cyber hackers that live on public Wi-Fi. You'd be surprised at how easily and quickly those guys can monitor your communications and steal your data you don't even know it. But it can't happen if you're on a VPN. They will not even see you. Norton 360 also has a password manager that easily and securely creates, stores, and manages all your passwords. Well, Rush already have that. I mean, there's one password. Yeah, but you don't have it built in to your VPN. You don't have it built into your – you can't get too many of these things anyway when you get right down to it. I have backups of backups, for example. You know, I, I have, one of the things I use most often on my phone is a clipboard app. I copy things like you can't believe, and I need them to survive the next thing I copy. So I've got clipboard apps that save the most recent 100 things I've copied. I have two of them in case one of them doesn't work, in case one of them misses something. And it's the same thing with, with security. You can't have too many backups, and you can't have, in this case... A password manager, it doesn't help to have redundancy. This stuff is so inexpensive anyway that, that being redundant is a smart thing to do. You can activate up to five devices on a Norton 360 subscription. You can download it, use it on your laptops, your desktops, as well as your cell phone. It's a powerful piece of software for cybersecurity. And now you can get up to 50% off your first year with an annual subscription, norton.com rush. That's Norton.com/slash/Rush for fifty percent off. You didn't know that there were. Uh, you didn't know that there, were, there were there were clipboard apps. All of these things are amazing. The two I use, okay, I'll give them a plug. I use one called Copied, and I use one called Paste. They're entirely different companies, entirely different how they operate, but I use both of them. You don't know how great it is. You're, you're doing something, and you need to copy it and, it, and it's saved on that clipboard in that app until you need it, so you don't have to go back to the original source and copy it again. just have to go find it on the clipboard app and paste it wherever you want it. And I have two of those in case one doesn't get something I need. It's just call me anal. I just damn. Back to the phones we go. Doug in Denver, great to have you with us on the EIB Network. Hello.
4: Hey, Rush, how are you?
0: Hey, I'm
4: doing well.
0: Thank you.
4: Well, listen, my wife and I pray for you every night. I'm a cancer survivor, but I got three things I want to say, and then I'm going to hang up because you got—you're smart. You got a lot of smart people listening to you. But here's what I think: Number one, Washington D.C. People who voted for Trump in 2016 want to see President Trump. Say there will be no statues coming down in Washington, D.C. This is our nation's capital. It will not happen here. Number two, we want our president to say to the people of Minneapolis, to Seattle, to Atlanta, to New York, your governor may not take care of you. He may not care about your rights, but I do. And if necessary, I will nationalize National Guard troops and bring them into your capital cities to restore law and order, because your governor will not. And then number three, get rid of any general immediately. Any, subordin- any insubordination must not be tolerated by President Trump. It is all part of the deep state. I'm a former naval officer. I went to school with Ollie North. I know these guys. They are politicians. They may wear stars, but they are politicians, and Some in the will not be tolerated by our military. Some of them really are. You know,
0: we we have we have warrior generals, we have we have warrior admirals, and we got political generals and admirals. And you're you're absolutely right. What what I what I hear Doug saying here, if I can synthesize all three of his, I'm not trying to delineate them. I combine them what what he's saying here is that Trump voters expect the president to maintain the American way of life. That's what's under assault here. That is what we are all facing is an assault and attack on the American way of life which, which is one of the finest ways of life humanity has ever devised for itself. Hands down no contest. It's better than socialism. It's better than communism. It's better than Marxism and Leninism. It is better than anything. It's better than a monarchy. It's better than anything that's ever been tried. The American way of life and the proof is that people from every corner of this planet still to this day are trying to get in. It's all the proof that you need. So this is Victor Davis Hanson's piece today. Essentially, Doug, what you were saying, the president has got to convey that he understands what the country faces and that he is the last line of defense and that he cannot tolerate dissension in his own ranks. But I'll tell you, Doug, he does have this—it's This it's, it's a— a problem that I do not envy him having. You goes into these states where you're going to send the National Guard and those governors don't want it. And they may refuse it. And then, you know, Trump's got to be very cognizant. How's that going to look? How's it going to look if these generals that you mentioned actually say they're quitting or, if worse, run an actual coup against him? So he's got to be mindful of all of this while maintaining his uh, base and, uh, and that enthusiasm. Before the break, uh, I'm told this is excellent, Kayleigh McEnany. Now, uh, I, th- I think sometimes we fall into a trap on the conservative side, and it's what I call the performance trap. And we hear a conservative, anybody, really ream the left, really push back and wait, man, you got to hear this. Man, this is great. And it does sound great and so forth. But what does it actually accomplish? Because there's a gigantic disconnect. The left is totally unaffected by what you're going to hear. They don't get embarrassed. They're not... They don't even look at any of this as a debate. They can't even possibly lose a debate that they don't even think is valid and justified. As far as the left is concerned, we are invalid. Our existence is invalid. But I want to play it for you anyway, because it, 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 um, it is pushback. She was being hit from all sides in the press briefing this afternoon. A reporter said, if the president hasn't been briefed, how is he certain that Russia did not put out these bounties? Number twenty two, sound by number twenty two. Three.
5: New York Times falsely claimed Paul Manafort asked for polling data to be passed along to Oleg Deripaska before having to issue a correction. In June of 2017, the New York Times falsely wrote all 17 intel agencies had agreed on Russian interference before having to issue a correction that it was only four agencies. In 2017, February of that year, New York Times published a story claiming Trump campaign aides had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence, which even James Comey has said was almost entirely wrong. York Times. New York Times published a column in March of 2019 by a former Times executive editor that asserted the Trump campaign in Russia had an overarching deal that the quit of help in the campaign against Hillary for the quo of a new pro-Russian foreign policy. That's what we call the Russia hoax, which was investigated for three years with taxpayer dollars before ultimately getting an exoneration in the Mueller report. It is inexcusable, the failed Russia reporting of the New York Times. And I think it's time that the New York Times, and also the Washington Post hand back their Pulitzers. All right, so
0: that was was a great push, but it didn't answer the question. The question was, if the president hasn't been briefed, how's he certain that Russia didn't put out the bounties? Now, what she's saying is, you're lying. The story is BS, but she didn't say it that way. She came out and gave us a recitation of how wrong the media has been. And a lot of people, you're cheering, yay, right on, exactly, right on. You notice the left never does this. The left never gets into things that we've... They just accuse us. We leave it up to the American people to figure out. Like Kaylee, did. We present the case here. Yeah, look at what they said. is wrong there, wrong there, wrong there. They lie. They're lying. The whole story is a lie, is the answer. That's what the left does. The left puts out a story saying that Rush Limbaugh is telling you that vitamin C will cure COVID-19. Never said a thing about vitamin C and COVID or the common cold or anything else. They just out and out lie about it. And then the people they lie about are forced on a defensive posture. At any rate, got to take a brief. I'm not ripping Kaylee. Don't anybody misunderstand here. I'm saying our standards for successfully pushing back against the left need to be adjusted. Are you ready for this? This was an actual question for the... President today, it was from Ryan Lizza, who is uh, forget where's this going? Politico, Washington Post, BuzzFeed, I forget which. Listen to this question: Does President Trump believe it was a good thing the South lost the Civil War? Does President Trump believe it was a good thing the South lost the Civil War? Kaylee McEnany said, your first question is absolutely absurd. He's proud of the United States of America. You even have to say the president is proud of the United States. (sighs) Does the president believe it was a good thing the South lost the Civil War? The hatred, I'll tell you, the, the, the amount of poisonous hatred running through these people. But something doesn't fit here. If they really think this guy's cruising for the biggest landslide defeat, what's with all of this? If they really believe all this polling data that they're putting out there that, that plugs us 12 to 20 points ahead, where's the happiness? Where's the glee? Where's the satisfaction? Where are these people acting confident? Well, the answer is they don't believe Jack, folks, when it comes to Trump losing. They don't believe plugs is going to win by 12 to 20 points. They don't believe their own polls. And it's a good thing because their polls are not true. Their polls are, are, are trying to shape public opinion rather than reflect it. Hey, before I get out of here, I have to remind you, get a better night's sleep by sleeping on the most comfortable sheets that we know of. Now, there's a lot of people come into this game now, folks. It always happens. A product sponsor appears in the EIB network with some newfangled great contraption product, service, or whatever. We highly recommend it. Guess what? Here come a bunch of people doing the same thing. And there's all kinds of people out there now saying they have the softest sheets you've ever slept on. Well, the original softest sheets you've ever slept on is Bowl & Branch. Bowl & Branch makes them. Their sheets are manufactured with a pure organic cotton unique to their product line. They, they, they found sheets like this in a four-star hotel suite. They found sheets like this for 1000 bucks a set in a department store. I said, well, we can't sell them for that price. So they found a way to get as close to that at a $250 price point, and they did. One way they make it happen, they sell directly through their website. No middleman involved, no storage or stockage fees, and no mass distribution fees at, at retail. Nothing thing is retail, they just wanted a different business plan because they like having a direct relationship with every customer. But here's what they'll offer you. 30 days. Try these sheets. If they're not as soft, if they're not as luxurious as I've led you to believe they are, then you can send them back and you'll get a full refund. You'll get 50 bucks off your first set if you mention my name. So you go to Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L, com. Use my name when you make your purchase. Save 50 bucks off the first set of sheets. F- uh, shipping is free, too. So try it, com. Dean in Chicago, you're next. It's great to have you with us. Sir, we have about a minute and a half. Let's see if you can squeeze it in.
3: Thank you, Rush. Uh, mega prayers, mega dittos. Um, going back to your opening segment on the Supreme Court, I think that uh, President Trump and the Republicans have to stop trying to read tea leaves and trying to get the right people on the Supreme Court, uh, particularly with regard to the abortion issue, which has torn the country apart for the last 50 years. The thing they need to do is invoke Article Three of the Constitution and strip the court, all federal courts, appellate courts, and the Supreme Court of any original or appellate jurisdiction to challenge any state statutes with regard to abortion. Uh, with regard to the um, any judicial
0: decision. Well, you could do that. I mean, that. That would be a really tough sell for Congress. But the time to do it would be when the Republicans run it. The Democrats won't do it. And the reason they want it's obvious, the judiciary is, is, is where they uh, implement their agenda when they lose elections. But the other thing is that they simply, we cannot deny, we cannot deny people who come to our court, the chance to appeal to the Supreme Court, and they'll, they'll own the American population with that. But I, the point Congress could do this. Congress runs the courts. They set them up. Congress could do exactly what Dean says here if they got the gonads. Okay, folks, here's the drill. I'm out tomorrow and Wednesday. It's treatment week. Going to shoot to get back Thursday, and after that, we play it by ear. You know the drill. We'll stay in touch. Hope you have a a great rest of the week, and I'll get back here as uh, soon as I can. See you next time.